was really easy to recover from because they were very miniature strokes and the, the cavernome in my brain was only bleeding, like leaking very small amounts. But every bleed kind of caused different symptoms. So I lost my left-sided vision, sometimes my left hand went numb. And then about seven years ago, I had a full stroke. My left arm went, like, stopped working. My left leg stopped working. And I went to a hospital in London. And they said that there was nothing they could do. Oh, it was on my mind constantly. Like, every morning you wake up and think, have I got a headache? How does my arm feel? Can I, like, am I seeing properly? And every little twinge, you think, oh my God, is it going to happen again? Am I going to have to spend eight weeks in hospital again? And you just build your life back up. You restart after every stroke. Never lose hope. As long as you've got hope, you can. I always think you can hope for medical advancement. You can hope that your body will have that movement. Sometimes when you've had a stroke, your way is different and it's longer and it's it's like a further way around, but there is always a way. So never give up hope, there's always a way. Hello, this is Stroke Stories. I'm Mark Goodyear. Around one in 600 people in the UK suffer from a cavernoma, an abnormal cluster of blood vessels found in the brain that doesn't cause any symptoms. But around 1 in 400,000 have a cavernoma that does present symptoms. These can include leaking blood, which can dramatically increase the chance of a hemorrhagic stroke. Information on complex conditions that can cause strokes is often hard to find, especially if you don't really know what you're looking for, and many can remain undetected before they cause the problem. So we started Stroke Stories, the podcast, to seek out and to hear from stroke survivors. In this episode, we'll hear from Nikki Evans from Hemel Hempstead, who suffered a total of six strokes, starting when she was just 17. I was 14 years old when I was diagnosed with a genetic illness called cavernoma. And then I was 17 years old when I had my first stroke. So before stroke, I guess it was just school and normal and GCSEs and all that kind of thing. A-levels. I think I was doing my A-levels before my first stroke. So I was just like a typical 17-year-old. I'm a bit different to most people. Because it was genetic, my aunt suffered a stroke about two years before me. Now, at the time, they thought it was an aneurysm. And then a year later, after my aunt had a stroke, my mum had a bleed on the brain, which caused her epilepsy. And because my aunt and my mum had had it, and I was suffering migraines at the time, the doctors just said, can we scan Nicola and see if she's got it as well? Because then we'll have a definite genetic link. So... They scanned me and I had a cavernoma in my brain as well, which is like a cluster of blood vessels. And it's, they don't bleed as quickly as aneurysms, they bleed very slowly. So they don't cause like quick, sudden strokes. It's like a really slow, I had four mini strokes and two big strokes. The first one didn't do very much to me. It took a quarter of my vision. I lost uh, my left bottom peripheral vision. So I had, what is it, they call that left-sided hemianopia. And that was when I was 17. I just remember just, I don't know if it's because I was diagnosed at a young age. I just kind of went, okay, it is what it is. I was a bit nervous of needing brain surgery at that stage, being so young. But I think because I'd seen my mum and my aunt go through it, I was like, okay. The first 
thought it feels like so long ago I barely remember and they were they were always really easy to recover from because they were very miniature strokes and the, the cavernome in my brain was only bleeding like leaking very small amounts but every bleed kind of caused different symptoms so I lost my left-sided vision sometimes my left hand went numb and then about seven years ago I had a full stroke my left arm went like stopped working my left leg stopped working and I went to a hospital in London and they said that there was nothing they could do so they didn't want to do surgery because it was in such a dangerous place and I kind of had to fight for some rehab really so the surgeon was like well there's nothing we can do we're going to discharge you and I said well my left arm doesn't work you can't discharge me so it was at that point they kind of said okay we'll look at rehab so I had some rehab on my left arm and my left leg and I spent eight weeks in an inpatient unit having all of that until my arm moved again and then less than a year later I had a sixth stroke my left arm went again and that was it was with the sixth stroke that I went from a quarter hemanopia to a full half hemanopia so I've got no left-sided vision then I had surgery to stop the strokes and that was six years ago yesterday actually (laughs) that I had my last stroke so my last stroke was six years ago because it was in such a dangerous place, they wanted to just leave it. And because I was recovering from the strokes quite quickly and I got back to my life and I still went travelling and I still worked and stuff like that until kind of the fifth and sixth stroke, they kind of stopped me. Nikki's strokes became so regular, she was worried they wouldn't stop. Oh, it was on my mind constantly like every morning you wake up and think have I got a headache how does my arm feel can I like am I seeing properly and every little twinge you think oh my god is it going to happen again am I going to have to spend eight weeks in hospital again and you just build your life back up you restart after every stroke and then it it stops again with every stroke and I just you can't hold a job down like that either so it made my decision to have surgery so much easier when they finally said they could do surgery because I thought It'll put an end to always wondering if it's going to happen again. She found that she was able to get into the rhythm of recovery relatively easily after each stroke. I guess it's always rest, always listen to your body, and if you need to sleep, then sleep. Each one was different. I seemed to have a different thing going on in my life with each one, so it would always just be lots of rest. I think that's one of the main things after stroke because you can get quite fatigued. So it's always just rest when you can. And then physio, just moving the left arm and leg as much as you can. And it was, I guess, after the fifth and sixth straight, I more kind of got into the physio side of things, of trying to make my body work in a way that it wasn't working anymore. Nikki's strokes also affected her education. Well, I was doing my A-levels <laughs> and then it all happened, so... It just took me away from them. I couldn't focus on them. I was constantly in and out of hospital appointments. I used to see a surgeon, a genetic team. I used to see like the eye department because my vision had gone. So I just didn't have time to finish my A-levels. So I didn't finish them in the end. And then after college, I just got an office admin job and kind of took it from there, I guess, really. I'd worked full time, but then it was hard because I was having a lot of hospital appointments and sick days. So for, I think from 17 until about 24, I always worked full time. 
And then I went traveling, I went to Australia. I actually had a stroke while I was in Australia. <laughs> and before I went, I'd got the blessing of my genetic team of all the neurologists and stuff like that. And then when I got to Australia, they had a very good neurological team. So I saw them on, and had like a little bit of time in hospital over there as well. I think that was like the fourth stroke was in Australia. So I didn't want it to stop my life, but I had to put plans into place for in case obviously having good travel insurance and stuff like that. I started my own small business. I'm uh, now a technician. So I do like nails and manicures pedicures and all that kind of thing it really worked for me because I knew with the fatigue and the hospital appointments and stuff like that that working for someone else was going to be a bit of a pain on quite difficult so when I work for myself I can manage my own hours and how much I work and when I can rest and things like that. During Nikki's recovery she found a great deal of support at the charity Headway. I was at the time after my sixth stroke and surgery, I was very depressed and I never wanted to leave my house. And I only went out somewhere if I was with, with someone and I used a white stick as well. So Headway came and they got me out and about and just helped me with getting back to work and stuff like that. So I think Headway were incredible. I've always been a very bright, positive person with a very bright outlook and all of a sudden... I just, I was so low, I couldn't leave the house, I didn't want to exist anymore, and was never wanted to die, but I just didn't want to exist like that anymore. The only way I could explain it is everything felt grey, I just get up and it just felt like everything was grey all the time, and you felt, and you felt even worse, because you thought, I've survived all that, just to be this unhappy, didn't make sense really. They came around to see me because I wouldn't really leave my flat. <laughs> and then to help get me out and about again, because I can't drive, they showed me all the bus routes. And actually, there was a bus stop right outside my house, which I'd never used. And they, they used to get on the bus with me and show me where to get on and where to get off and where I went to go into town. And the more they did that stuff with me, the more brave I got about doing it. There was a headway group called Habit. I just went every Wednesday and they talk about brain injury and how stroke and injury affects the brain and how it affects your emotions. And they also done like practical things with us, like they helped me get a volunteer job. And just being around other people who've had those experiences really helped. A huge part of Nikki's life so far has been taken up by her condition and the strokes that it caused. Now, given the all clear after her surgery, she's beginning to enjoy life again. Still to come on Stroke Stories, Nikki talks about being surprised at the response from her friends. Especially when you're all so low and it's funny actually looking back, they're the ones that stick in your head as well and they're the ones that you'll always support back. I can remember all the people that came to see me in hospital and it's not that you made a mental note of the ones that didn't, but it just sticks in your mind because you think, oh, I didn't expect to see you and they've made that effort. And she talks about her charity work. I'm involved in many charities now and one of them was called Cavernoma Alliance and I actually shaved my head to raise money for them. It's something that I always say when I was diagnosed at 14, I always said, if I ever have to have brain surgery, I'll shave my head. So I did it. And I raised £4,000 for Cavernoma Alliance. Let's hear how Nikki was able to receive unique support from her family. 
my mums had the same and my aunts had the same so we can support each other in a way that I guess other families can't because my mum knows and she's been there and my aunt knows whereas I guess other families can't give that support where they know. My friends were good but it's hard because no one fully gets it. You find out who your friends are, definitely. (laughs) My closest friends were great and they've always supported me with everything. And like when you're low and you don't want to see them and you don't want to talk, they're kind of the close, the, the good ones stuck by you, I guess. <laughs> you get surprised with some of them. Some of the ones that come to see you in hospital, you think, wow, because you, you didn't realize you were that close. And then you get more, so much more support from them than you realized you were going to get. It's quite nice. And especially when you're so low, and it's funny actually looking back back they're the ones that stick in your head as well and they're the ones that you'll always support back I can remember all the people that came to see me in hospital and it's not that you made a mental note of the ones that didn't but it just sticks in your mind because you think oh I didn't expect to see you and they've made that effort. Nikki also found that her disability caused by her strokes changed the way people behaved to her. When I first started going back out I used a white stick because of my vision loss and People wanted to help you all the time. People wanted to help me cross the road. People would move out of my way. Complete strangers would want to talk to me about it and find out what happened. And now that I don't use the stick, people obviously don't know that I've got visual impairment because there's nothing to tell them that I have. So they'll barge into you. And Or if I walk into somewhere, I, I knock children over sometimes <laughs> if they run into my blind spot and you feel awful and you don't want to have to explain, oh, I'm visually impaired and stuff like that. But it makes me think, why do you need a white stick for other people to show you kindness? We should be showing kindness to everyone all the time. And it's, it's really made that stick in my head. <laughs> At first, I found it very irritating Like, people would say, can I help you cross the road? And I used to think, if I couldn't cross the road, I wouldn't be out by myself. So I'd find that very frustrating. But then I reached this point where I thought, do you know what? If it makes them feel better to help me, I'm going to let them help me and feel better. (laughs) If that's what it takes to make their day feel nicer. So then they they can go home and say, I helped a blind lady across the road today. So I just went with it in the end. I was like, yeah, if you want to help me, you can help me. And I just started to accept the help from people and that's another really hard thing is accepting that you need help because you want to be strong and you want to do it on your own but actually you can do so much better when you start accepting help from people I didn't want to go to Headway at all I wanted to do it on my own I was refusing and luckily they were quite forceful and and were like no we want to help you we're going to show you this and it was probably at that point that I thought actually you should accept help because it's not charity, it's not anything to make you feel bad about yourself, it's just going to help you get your life back to normal or some element of normal. I'm involved in many charities now and one of them is called Cavernoma Alliance because they specialise in the genetic illness that I've got and I actually shaved my head to raise money for them. It's something that I always say when I was diagnosed at 14, I always said if I ever have to have brain surgery I'll shave my head. So when the surgeon said to me, we're going to do surgery. My first thought wasn't, oh my God, I'm having brain surgery. It was, oh my God, I always said I'd shave my head. So I did it. And I raised £4,000 for Cavernoma Alliance. And then I think about a month later, my mum also raised about £1,000 for them as well. Despite everything that's happened, Nikki believes that her condition and her strokes 
have had a positive impact on her life. It sounds crazy, but I actually feel really grateful that that happened to me because if it's brought me to the point that I'm at. After my fifth stroke, I used to be an event planner. And after my fifth stroke, I was looking at other event planning jobs. And I had a job interview to work for a hotel. And it was the day before that job interview that I had my sixth stroke. And I always felt like it pushed me in a different direction. If I'd have got, if I hadn't have had that stroke and I'd gone and got that job interview for another event planner job, I'd still be doing that job that I really didn't enjoy that much. But I had that sixth stroke and it put me on a different path where now I do something that I love and I work for myself and I help other people. So I'm actually quite grateful for my illness. I don't hold any resentment for it at all because it's brought me to where I am now. At the time, you're angry, <laughs> very angry. But looking back, you just go, thank God that they moved my life in this completely different direction. I've got this belief that we all end up in the state where we're meant to end up, but you just have to take a different journey. But maybe I wouldn't be where I am today. Maybe it would have taken me longer. Maybe I would have, it would have been harder. I wouldn't have the same outlook on life. It definitely makes you see life differently. So maybe I would still be, you know, doing jobs that I hate and commuting in and out of London and doing all that stuff even though I didn't want to do it. Like when I left school, I wanted to get into the beauty industry, but I didn't because of what was all going on then. And now I've gone full circle and ended up in doing what I wanted to do anyway. <laughs> She's also never been afraid to confront her stroke. I'm a bit of a chatterbox and I'm very open about it. I've never hidden it. And I don't know if that's because I was diagnosed so young and I just grew up with it or if I'm just an open person anyway. But I don't try to hide it. I don't get embarrassed by it. <laughs> and I think it's important to talk about it because it, like what you're doing with the podcast, it just opens it up for the people that aren't talking about it who maybe aren't quite there yet. In January, I'm going to India and I'm going to train to be a yoga teacher. Um, so that's my next plan because yoga helped me so much because after I came out of hospital and rehab, there's only so much you can do with rehab and on the NHS and everything. So then I discovered yoga, which has helped me to really get more of an, a movement and an improvement in my left side. So what I want to do next is once I've got my yoga certificate is to help other people who've been in my position and help them through yoga and hopefully how I've been helped with my yoga teacher. So that's my next plan. For Nikki, there's one thing that is crucial to recovery. For the stroke survivors, just never lose hope. As long as you've got hope, you can. I always think you can hope for medical advancement. You can hope that your body will have that movement sometimes when you've had a stroke your way is different and it's longer and it's it's like a further way around but there is always a way so never give up hope there's always a way and then for the family and friends you just have to be patient and not push because I noticed that a lot I was being pushed people wanted you to go at their pace and they couldn't accept that your pace was slower now so I think it's just be patient with them Nikki's strokes have had a huge impact and at times made everyday life almost impossible. But she's found her independence again and has set up her own business doing the thing she always dreamed of. 
coming up in the next episode of Stroke Stories. On November 9th, 2018, I went to a friend's house with my son and all of a sudden I collapsed. And uh, I was lucky enough that my friends acted quickly and the EMTs got there quickly because 15% of people with a ruptured aneurysm died before even reaching the hospital. Please subscribe to our podcast on your preferred provider and rate and comment on the episodes you hear to help us spread the word. If you'd like to learn more about stroke, search for the Stroke Association online. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.